Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 456, is recorded live July 16th, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great surge state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I've been hydrated, so we're doing pretty decent. Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got my beverage of choice here. I'm trying to keep hydrated as well. I, I probably am not drinking as much water as I should, but anything that keeps me away from kidney stones, well, I have been trying to drink a lot because I have found out this year, especially, that I do not tolerate the heat like I used to. I used to love it to be hot. Uh, this year has kicked my butt. If I'm, not, if I'm not out there drinking copious amounts of cold liquid, mm-hmm. it'll kick my butt. Well, one thing I have noticed, because I've got one of those Fitbits, and I'll be mowing the yard. and. If I mow the yard and it's like 85, my heart rate, even with a push mower, never gets into the cardio range. If it's 90 or above, I hit the cardio range almost instantly. So that just a few degrees makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And there'll get to be a point when I'm like, I just, I'm done and I'll take a break. I need to take a break. So then I'll go inside in the air conditioning and get something to drink. And I'll look at the Fitbit. And about the time I've just said, I've had enough, my heart rate will have spiked, you know, in the high 130s. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like your body is trying to cool you down and it's saying, you know what, I, I've done what I can. You're not helping me at all. <laughs> and it just sends you that signal saying it's time to stop. So, you know. Is that, is that a self-propelled or? No, a push more. Yeah. I, I'm doing it part for exercise and I mean, I've, I've got that one that, that you gave me, but my, my yard is so brutal yeah. that it's a, uh, it's a little rough for that one. So. Well, I don't do the push one anymore. I got a self-propelled, but you know what I mean? It's self-propelled, but sometimes you got to push. Yeah. I mean, self-propelled. I haven't, I haven't had one of those in a long time other than a rider. Uh, but I mean, a self-propelled is nice, but they, they also tended to be heavier. I mean, I've got, it's a big wheeled light or mower. I mean, it's, you know, one of those that you get for like 120 bucks at any of the lawn stores. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I can get just, just mowing my yard. I I'll get 10 to 15 flights of stairs. I can get 20 or 30, depending which way I mow it. If, uh, what I tend to do is try and stay at the same level and then work my way down. Mm-hmm. Cause if you go up and down the hill the 90 degrees ways uh that will kick your butt pretty quick yeah yeah chat room's uh giving a product recommendation toro pace mower is awesome Um, i've been looking at some of the electric mowers they got some electric self-propelled that i'm interested in but i'm not paying six hundred dollars uh for a lawnmower oh my neighbor was 
trying to be a good husband to the to the environment, and he mm-hmm. had electric. He now does not have an electric. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you have to. I think in the last. Well, there's there's electric. I had somebody when I delivered newspapers on my newspaper route. He had an electric, but it was uh, with a cord. Yeah. So it so I had a power cord and a spool, and you would it would retract, it would reel in and reel out as he went back and forth along the yard. So you just, you know, you started farthest away from the house with the cord all the way out. Then you mowed your way up to the front of the house. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of ingenious. You know, this was in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, but you can get them now with a lithium ion that aren't too bad, but you've got to spend, I mean, if you're getting a $300 electric mower, you know, if it's an off brand, you're just not going to be happy with it. And I don't think even with the real expensive ones, they, it's meant for like a, a nice light, calm, uh, pretty city people on, you know, not yeah. out here country stuff. Yeah. My daughter had a push more, the rotary blades. That's how big her yard wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric saying uh, eight acres at his mom's campground. And that was uh, using a 60 inch deck. Did it in four hours. At 17 miles an hour mowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got 12 acres that, but I don't mow all 12 acres. I'm mowing with a push mower in a week. I'm probably mowing an acre and a half, two acres. But. My yeah. yard is 200 by 100. Yeah. Mine's 268 feet wide by 2,040 some feet long. That's more yard than I'm ever going to cut. <laughs> I told and me wife, too. <laughs> when I got to the point that I can't cut this one with a self propelled, we're either getting a yard service or we're going to get a condo. No yard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, yeah. The, the only time I've mowed the whole thing, I've done it with a tractor and a brush chopper. And, uh, and, and I really need to do that again. I'm due. I, I've, I've got to hit it with a brush chopper about every three or four years. Cause if you don't, there are the uh, prickers that will, you know, they'll, they'll be 10, 12 foot tall. And the only way to get that is a brush chopper back into it, and mulch it up. I think I just give me a couple of Buffalo and yard lot and take care of that. Stuff. <laughs> well, I've heard Screw goats will do it. But the but the goat stinks so bad. I don't. Yeah, I, we've got horses and all sorts of stuff, but I, I don't need the goats. So, oh, we have a good turnout in the chat room today. We have uh, Dave and Eric and Karen and Derek was in here before he he asked for uh, uh, a pass to go scuba diving. So he's he's out enjoying the water. Uh, and I have to apologize to everybody when uh, everybody in the chat room who's listening is going to uh, enjoy the the program, but everybody else, it's probably going to be about three or four weeks from now. Cause that's how far behind I am in editing. Um, it's just, it, it follows the same old pattern that gets me every time is that if I'm taking vacation or traveling, which I've done both in the last month, uh, it just kills any extra time I have to be able to, uh, to do any editing. So I got to get caught back up. I keep thinking I've got, I've got time to do it tomorrow and tomorrow I don't. So, Hopefully, this July 16th episode is out before August, but we'll have to see. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have up today 
I can get my mouse up there to to pull it up is we have Diver Snag's Donner Lake Trash Monster. And what they're referring to is uh, archaeologists who probed the lake around the Donner Lake in the last 40 years discovered evidence that suffering, starving families who were snowbound there in the terrible winter of 1846 and 47. Scuba divers working the lake the last three days surfaced with 1,561 pounds of garbage found along a one-mile corridor near the shoreline, evidence that some vacationers used a beautiful setting as a trash bin. There's accidental trash, and then there's intentional trash, said Colin West, executive director of Clean Up the Lake. Some people may litter very intentionally. Some people really care and understand, and some people don't. The nonprofit organization is dedicated to cleaning up the subsurface of Lake Tahoe, 72 miles of shoreline. The Tahoe project was put on hold when the COVID-19 pandemic hit because of ferrying groups of divers around in small boats all day wasn't advisable. Instead, divers last week began an underwater cleanup of Donner Lake, a less extensive project which will help the team get ready for the big lake at Tahoe next year. While COVID-19 set us back, we're using this time to our advantage developing our craft, fine-tuning our skills, Wes said. Donner Lake, about 20 miles northwest of Lake Tahoe, is named for the ill-fated party of wagon train pioneers who traveled in California in 1846. A group of 81 men, women, and children who were already exhausted and nearly out of provisions in October when early storms trapped them near the lake. The Sierra held them prisoners for months, and about half died. Some of the survivors resorted to cannibalism to stay alive. The story has become a tragic icon of the American West. Today, the Donner Memorial State Park Museum occupies the east and part of the south shore of the lake. Residents, resorts, and public piers dot the northern shore. Winter activities include cross-country skiing, snowshoeing. The summer visitors enjoy camping, picnicking, boating, fishing, water skiing, windsurfing, hiking, and mountain biking. They left out scuba diving, but we see that some people are doing that. Some vacationers leave more than just traces behind. The diving team target an area about 35 feet from shore. Divers three or four at a time swim about 10 to 15 feet apart. Parallel shoreline where the water is about 20 to 30 feet deep. They carry hook sticks with mesh bags. Some accidental trash is relatively easy to identify. We found a lot of hats, and we know no one is throwing those away, Wes said. Besides the soggy, was it shampoos? The team found 85 tennis balls that dogs presumably failed to retrieve, some children's toys, a couple boat anchors, a few diving masks, footwear, a tackle box containing a fishing license dated to the 2001 season. The angler was located on Facebook, Wes said, but so far she hasn't replied to the group's messages. Last week's haul also included a mountain of probable intentional trash. Things dropped overboard by boaters, tossed in the lake from shore. The bounty include a plethora of beer cans, some of the old-style pop-tops, glass and plastic beverage bottles of every shape and size, large volumes of single-use plastic, including bags, food containers, 35 old tires, and various states of decomposition found in several spots along the one-mile cleanup area. Why are there so many tires? Why are they in the lake? I have no idea, Wes said. About half the weight of the debris was the tires. The garbage can full cement used to anchor a long vanished buoy was too heavy to remove and was left in the bottom. Divers also found several exercise dumbbells chained together like a giant charm bracelet, probably used for the same purpose as the cement. If we had a crane, we could have pulled it out another ton of garbage on Friday, Wes said. Cement isn't as big an issue for the lake's environmental quality, but plastic and possibly rubber items may be a concern. 
Plastic break down the microscopic particles that wind up in fish and can travel through the water, ultimately being ingested by people. There's a speculation among scientists that microplastics could have adverse effects on humans as particles move through the marine food web and drinking water systems. Microplastic both absorbed and gave off chemicals and harmful pollutants, including carcinogens like dioxin and PCBs. The problem is so new, there's no standards for microplastics in drinking water. Researchers are trying to determine the level of the stuff may be dangerous. And they go on and on and on. But uh, some nice photos they had there. The water looks pretty clear, too. Yeah. And the bottom looked uh, easy to work with. looks like it's rock. Yeah. Yeah, like where they show the cans nestled there in the rocks. Yeah, but the I, I was trying to figure out when they said they got... Thousand pounds plus fifteen hundred pounds of garbage. Uh, uh-huh. It's a lot of garbage. But as soon as you start saying tires, we both know tires are heavy. Yeah, yeah. They, they thought it was at least half the weight that they they claimed was in tires. And and seeing her there, those are some tires that have. Yeah, those are some rough looking tires. Yeah, and I don't think they're biodegradable. I think they were bad, and that's why people put them in there. Yeah, a lot of people use those for uh, bumpers on cars. Uh, pontoon boats so some of those could have been there not by you know deliberately dumped mm-hmm. but actually fell off protecting a boat or a crane or a barge I, or something I, well right i yeah because i can remember when barges also uh swim platforms as a kid seemed like they used to have people would put tires along the side yeah i mean they were free and then i think when they you know just didn't need them anymore they cut them loose yep but a uh, nice place. Have you ever been there? I have not. I have I not went, been. Uh, I was Lake in San Tahoe. Francisco for uh, a class years ago, and then thought we'd go through the mountains, go through Donner Pass, and made a little trip to casino. <laughs> yeah. Up in Reno. Uh, it's interesting, especially when you realize people died in that area that you're just going through now. We take so much for freaking granted. Yeah. And yeah, travel. because. Well, we, we've got such, in modern times, we've built up such an infrastructure which provides safety because it's, you know, there's a lot of shows on that talk about, you know, experienced hikers being trapped in the woods and they get found. But there's a, there's a huge network of people there available to help. That didn't exist, you know, 150, 200 years ago. Right. And the population density was not such that mm-hmm. you're going to stumble into somebody. Yeah. And people and don't realize how, how bad it can get in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, some uh, of those like a, I was going to say, it looks like a very nice place to dive. But I'm just curious how much time they spend down because if it's still 30 feet, uh-huh. you know, you could get some residual time if you're going to be repetitive diving day after day. Yeah. Yeah, do they say? Now, the, the most important question, and maybe I, I need to look closely, but did it count as official dive? I didn't hear anything about golf balls. Well, they did say tennis balls. Yeah. And I can't okay. imagine somebody didn't, you know, four, I, you know. Yeah. But you're right. I did not see any either. And I looked. Matter of fact, yep. I'm looking at the cans and the bottles right <laughs> now. Let's see what we got here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they could find a Donner bottle. That's what I was curious about. What, what kind of material did you find that may date back another hundred, hundred? Yeah. Yeah, it says the they 
in the last 40 years discovered evidence of the suffering and starving families who are snowbound there. Yeah, it would have been nice. They didn't see what evidence that was. No. So you don't know if that was written just to be a a hook or if it actually happened. But uh, you you get to see that. Or how about this? A giant coral block, uh, a secretive, is it Condeo treasure? Big white rare coral block is under strict protection in southern Vietnam's Condeo National Park with a few aware of its mesmerizing proximity. During a trip to Condeo Island in Bangria Vung Tao province at the end of June, blogger Nyo Hang Hai An was able to join scuba diving the giant coral block about six meters wide, nearly eight meters high in Hong Kao. Uh, and said that the coral block lies about four meters below the surface, and he was impressed with the overwhelming diameter. The block is white, has a rough surface similar to the fish skin during the day. Refracting light makes it sparkle amid the deep blue water. This giant block of coral is strictly protected but area of the Condeo National Park. Therefore, very few know of existence, and said he had to seek permission for the visit from local authorities. This is the largest coral block discovered in Vietnam is located in Kong Song Bay, about 1,000 meters from Pier 114. In June 2019, this block suffered from bleaching as a rising sea temperature slowly killed the coral. Fortunes recovered to its original state. Uh, uh, let's see. Guyvin Van Vung from the Department of Conservation International Cooperation at Condeo National Park confirmed there are many other coral blocks located around Condeo. Coral blocks have not been studied, and their, and their ages have yet to be determined. However, based on a growth rate of about 1 to 2 centimeters per year, they are said to be centuries old. The park covers an area of about 19,883 HA hectares. In particular, the forest area is 5,883 HA, and the ocean has 14,000. Is one of the most diverse marine areas of Vietnam with primitive coral reefs, mangrove plants, seaweed, seagrass, coral reefs, and crustaceans. The coral ecosystem is very developed with 342 species, 61 specimens, 17 families of marine creatures, playing an important role in regulating and balancing oxygen in the ocean. Coral reefs are what plastic species, what plastic, what aquatic species habitate, lay eggs and feed. In addition, they have an important task serving a second wall to protect Condeo from storms and great waves. Snorkeling to view the coral is currently one of the most popular activities in the area. Some popular tourist areas are Han Seo, Han Bay Con, Hong Tao, Khan Son Bay. Price for snorkeling viewing the coral is about $2.50 per person. Canoe rental is about $107 to $129. Each canoe carries about 10 guests. Some of the pictures there are very, very nice, and the water clarity looks decent. Yeah. Now, that area, is it's way south in Vietnam. If you got um, Saigon, you go straight on down mm-hmm. to the little peninsula that goes out, and that's where that's located. Yeah, but it, I I appreciate that they're, they mentioned that this is one of them that had bleached the year before. Yeah. And that it had come back, because we only hear about the bad happening. We don't ever hear about any of the recovery. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much of that has happened of, of these areas that had completely bleached out. Have those areas started to come back? 
no update on no i i haven't seen anything either and then this one's a video which is it's worth watching so if you look at the article and you see the youtube video uh the very interesting part is right to the end the video is about three minutes long um so uh, i won't read the article word for word but it's a video of a loon swimming like a fish so uh the video starts off and you can see the loon kind of at the surface but he's got his head down so you know he's holding his breath and looking around and he must have felt comfortable enough with the uh scuba diver underwater that he actually got under a little bit and swam around so he said it was definitely the highlight of the dive says lar who is riding an underwater scooter propulsion vehicle it's always a treat to see them underwater especially to stick around long enough for a picture yeah the last 30 seconds of the video is good because he's up there on the surface just doing his thing for a minute and a half then we he goes down he is streamlined to the max yeah and he did he just looks so comfortable like I'm down here in my normal environment, just from around looking for food. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's a natural thing for him. Not I can remember he was a good breath holder too. Yeah, I can remember canoeing in Canada, and we would see loons, and sometimes you wouldn't see him go in the water, but you'd see him pop up out of the water. Yeah, and I can always remember thinking it seemed bizarre. And then, how's this for? Uh, Items from a shipwreck. Beachgoers along Hong Kong's western waters are treated with a rare scene. Scores of severed pig knuckles lying on the seaside. The pig knuckles were swept on the beach following a shipwreck. The wreck occurred last week in uh, Nansha, resulting in 20 tons of pig knuckles falling into the sea. They floated along the shore of Hong Kong where they're spotted near Ting Kao, Man Wan, Lung Kuo Tan, and Golden Beach over the next few days. So there's three of the four beaches have uh, uh, Chinese names, and then one they just said, ah, forget it, it's Golden Beach. Uh, (laughs) The knuckles have already begun the rot, uh, emanating a foul odor, contaminating the beach in new territories west. Roy Tam Ho Pong, district uh, counselor of Ma Wan constituency, has requested Environmental Protection Department coordinate a cleanup. Now, I'm looking at the pictures, and I don't believe that saying uh, pig knuckles or what we're seeing here, those look like hogs, carcass, laying on the beach, really going to hell in a handbasket. For considering that with 20 tons, you could have come up with a better photo than the one that they have here. Well, that's a, that looks like a hog. I mean, I eat pig knuckles out of a jar. That ain't no pig knuckle. <laughs> that looks like the carcass of a hog. They, they haven't taken the, the knuckle off the pig in that photo. Yeah. And I don't understand if they're that bad, why they didn't just use a front end loader or whatever, pick it up, put it in a truck, and take it to the dump. Maybe they just couldn't figure out who's going to pay for the effort. I, well, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, 20, 20 tons. Yeah, contaminating the beach. You know, 20 tons sounds like a lot, but how many pigs would that be? I mean, if it's a full pig, I a mean, hog. it wouldn't take, yeah, yeah a hog. It, that would take. There's several, several hundred pounds. Yeah. My uncle used to butcher those suckers, and his were multiple hundred pounds each. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't take too many to, uh, not, not to say I would want to uh, have to have them myself. Uh, no. 20, well, yeah. no. 20 tons is a hell of a lot of pig knuckles. <laughs> yeah. Eric's or saying two, 240 pounds uh, typically. And I think that's probably the, you know, kind of the, the mid range because you can go either way. But for market, you probably want them. Yeah. Market ready is what he's saying. Yeah. You probably want them fairly lean. I, I can remember seeing uh, my uh, one that somebody called Fat Albert, and that thing had to have been. I think the story was he was six hundred pounds. Uh, but yeah, yeah. See, all sorts of fun things come from shipwrecks. <laughs> I uh, wonder if you'd have got them early if you could have still eaten them or cooked them. I bet you could. I mean, I mean, pickled in salt water. Yeah, brine brine bay did set up a barbecue. A luau? Dig some pits in the beach? You could have had all sorts of... Yeah, probably brought along botulism with your other items. <laughs> Cholera. Yeah, well, the minor things. Forget the COVID. Uh, Blackbeard likely intentionally grounded Queen Anne's Revenge off the North Carolina coast. New research seems to line up with long-held speculation that the pirate Blackbeard may have intentionally run his ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, aground off the coast of North Carolina in 1780. East Carolina University Jeremy Borelli supports the theory and suggests that Blackbeard may have indeed landed in Sandbar near Beaufort intentionally because the vessel was beyond repair. Borelli, a staff archaeologist at the Department of History Maritime Studies program, found the ship had major leaks that were repaired with lead sheathing by studying artifacts from the 300-year-old shipwreck. His research... An internal assessment of lead artifacts used for hull repair and maintenance in North Carolina ship 31CR314, Queen Anne's Revenge, 1718. It's a catchy title. Mm -hmm. Recently was published in the International Journal of Nautical Archaeology. Borelli said in a summary that the grounding of the QAR may therefore represent a premeditated move by Blackbeard to rid himself of a ship that he felt was no longer serviceable. Additional study of the wooden remains and associated features of the pirate flagship will undoubtedly reveal further information regarding necessity for the added hull protection and could also help to determine if the leaky state of the hull at the time of the sinking was a factor and it was either a mistake or a calculated maneuver on the part of one of history's most infamous pirates. History records records show that Blackbeard's acquisition of the Queen Anne's Revenge, previously known as the La Concorde, the ship developed several major leaks during a privateering voyage in the Caribbean in 1711 through 1712. To help repair the leaks, Borelli said sheet lead was commonly kept on ship and could be cut to fit specific needs. He said his research article represents preliminary findings because only 60% of the QAR site has been recovered so far. What is was most interesting about the examination of artifacts, in my opinion, is implications derived from the artifact evidence coupled with historical record. We know the ship had documented cases of significant leaks forming the hull prior to its capture by Blackbeard and his pirates. After it was captured, Blackbeard kept the pilot, two carpenters, and a caulker from the French crew. These individuals would have a good working knowledge of the ship's condition, and so this decision to keep them makes sense to increase the longevity of the pirate's newly acquired prize. Borelli joined the ECU Maritime Studies Program in 2018 as assistant staff archaeologist, but was engaged in onboard, oh, I said onboard, ongoing collaborations with the Queen Anne's Revenge Conservation Lab of the Office of State of Archaeology long before his employment with ECU. 
He began working on QAR Lab in 2012 as a graduate student at ECU's Maritime Study Program. Later, Borelli uh, worked with the North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources Underwater Archaeology Branch for field work on the QAR project in 2013 through 2015. From 2016 to 2018, he worked as an archaeologist for the QAR Lab. Now, if that was a sandbar, how deep is that? How deep is a sandbar? No, no. how deep is the wreck did it deliberately on a sandbar? And how deep that is? I don't know. I don't don't remember is, did that have weapons on it, meaning cannon? And if it did, and he did deliberately put it on a sandbar, meaning shallow, why would he have not gone back and taken the items that cost money, like cannon, off the ship? Right. Well, in fact, if you were... Now, unless it was like sinking and sinking now, it seemed like he would have wanted to take as much off it as he could. So like you said, if it was cannon, that has a value. Or you would want to stage it to where you could come back for it later. Yeah. Sandbar meaning shallow to me. So I'm just curious if anybody knew right offhand how deep that was. Yeah. What little picture they have here doesn't really show me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's focusing on just the repair pieces and where the lead was. And the uniqueness of that. Yeah. Which, how unique is that? When They sound like that was pretty normal. Well, it's manable on tight-fitting wood. You can hammer that in. You can melt it and drip it through. Uh, you can seal a lot of stuff with lead. Yeah. I mean, of course, you can we won't use, get into the toxicity of it, but uh, yeah, oh, and you can also make bullets and other things for it. So it's uh, it's recyclable, and yeah, it can be yeah. used for a variety of materials. And then this last one, we won't uh, go and watch it, but I just happened to come across this this week. Uh, this is uh, uh, Megabots Incorporated, which this was uh, somebody who had made one of those giant fighting robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had, he had done a Kickstarter fundraiser years ago, and they had raised like a million dollars or something ridiculous. And uh, they actually ended up building this big, giant fighting robot. But uh, he just, they, they took the robot over to Japan and fought another robot. And unfortunately, it was the most boring thing ever because, you know, giant robots don't move really quick. <laughs> so... Uh, the company ended up going bust. He ended up selling it to somebody in Indiana, I believe. He's out in California. Uh, and the guy who bought it does uh, shows at fairs, you know, the big monster truck type shows. So mm-hmm. it'll go to a good use. But his channel, since he's got all these viewers, uh, he's he's worked himself uh, an association with somebody out of Germany who makes uh, all sorts of, call them non-traditional weapons. And he's got a repeating crossbow where it's got a cocker and you just, it will pull the cord back and load a new bolt in and you can, you know, do it five or six times real quick. Uh, but he was having a problem getting into the U S so this guy's, uh, uh, bring him in the U S but the second item he had is an underwater pistol. And in this video, he doesn't show it underwater. I think he'll have another one doing it. Uh, but he did, shoot it and it's got a remarkable amount of strength in it so well it's it's uh, powered by 
a 3700 PSI cartridge, and I watched the ballistics on that sucker, and I went ahead and looked at some other ones like that. Uh-huh. I want one. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. Hey, I'm yeah, thinking I'm this is put great. A holster here, and come on, shark. Yeah, yeah, because uh, what it was kind of ingenious what the guy did. This I mean, this is a German engineer who who came up with this, but he's putting burst discs in there, and they pierce the burst disc to release the pressure to put the dart out. So, I mean, pretty ingenious. It's uh Well, it went through two piles of ballistic gel. Yeah. Cardboard, particle board, and another board that's definitely going to do some damage to a shark yeah. or any other item that's bothered. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, because of that one, it parlayed to another one where some a German guy had that crossbow. That sucker is mean on the water. I watched a video of it. It's like, yeah. damn. Yeah. If I, I, surface, I, that would be bad. I, I may contact a guy and uh, you know, maybe he'd be a good one to have on, see what he could tell us about it, because that'd be cool. I mean, we need more things to do underwater. Could you? I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what could you do with it that would be uh, an interesting video. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know your well, backstop. What you could do is go to the river that's got those Asian carp that jump around, and then you oh, can yeah. actually do something that's constructed. You can go fishing with that on those fish because those guys mm-hmm. are pretty big. Yeah. Let me see. I, uh, see if you own. So in North America, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a no-no and click on the link. So the website is gogun.co. So yep. G-O-G-O-N dot C-O. Uh, it says it's going to be, is this the Cobra Adler? Oh, that's the that's the crossbow. The Cobra System R-Series Adder Tactical Repeating co- Crossbow, $449. Uh, and that was pretty impressive. I have well, to say Well, you know, banks, sticks and stuff are expensive, and that's a one shot. This gives yeah. me two shots. So let's see. what What did the, let me see if I can get down there. The Scuba Ringer. So that gives you two shots. So that's $390, scuba ringer and two bolts. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and there was some really good design to it. Uh, uh, loading it, it uh, was kind of like a, how a shotgun uh, can breach open. Oh, yeah. And you load from the back. Yeah, and it was, yeah. Let's see, what are the other options? So that one. Well, it's plastic. It's also. Easy to clean, every to maintain. That's not going to rust on you. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, that special forces must have some of these things. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure they've got like a another uh, you know version of it, but uh, two two bolts in the the gun, which is the scuba ringer, was three hundred ninety dollars, and then they plus shipping, and the scuba ringer with ten bolts was four hundred forty nine dollars. So certainly well, interesting. Crocodile infested waters or something or alligators. Having something like that might be nice because it would probably take the alligator's mind or crocodile off of you if you had to use such a device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're treating it like a harpoon device. He says, like any other harpoon device, scuba ringer is deadly, especially when used against uh used in its intended purpose over water against mammals. 
did you see some of the videos they had? They were actually demonstrating slingshots under the water. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I didn't. I, I just saw this particular one. Yeah, it grabbed my attention. I said, "That's pretty. Cool. That is cool." Oh, there's one below. I didn't see. Is that like a harpoon gun? No, that's a. That's a. Wow, that's an interesting the Fenris bow. I just I did save that one because I want to go back and look that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is some cool stuff. Yeah, because it's an air gun, so you don't need a license for it. That there would be go. freaking wicked. Let me tell you. Get it now before it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, and it's plastic too. I wonder what the darts are made of. I'd probably show up on a detector though. Uh, well, I mean, who's to say you couldn't? adapt and come up with your own yeah yeah well i'm sure the cylinder that takes that 3700 psi ain't gonna be made of plastic no no that was uh uh he, he showed it in the video he showed him loading it with a bicycle pump nope that he had a special name for it because bicycle pump ain't gonna go to 3000 pounds plus well well right i i should say bicycle styled pump but yeah. yes yeah. But uh, I was interested because they didn't show the uh, one you can buy electric because you'd sure want the electric one. Oh, yeah, heck yeah. If you can get the electric one, that's the way to go. And, I mean, that's easy to load. You could take a whole s slew of those and some kind of canvas sack on your leg and have a lot of ammunition there if you're going to go hunting. And you could also rig it up. I was looking at how I'd rig it to put a, a reel on it of steel wire mm -hmm. so you could actually shoot and retrieve the fish. You could go hunting with that. Yeah. Not just to kill the fish, but for food. It was interesting. I, I enjoyed that. It makes you wonder because they, they've pre-sold out of some of these products. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, is it intentionally limited supply or are they just selling that many of them? Yeah, because on the uh, the the crossbow, so the product is sold out. If you're North America, pre-ordering from us is the fastest way to get one. Mm. And the pre-order wasn't going to ship until September 2020. Mm. Yeah, so we have these as a reservation next batch for the manufacturer. Do they say the country of manufacture? I did not notice. Because it's a German company who's engineering it. But it makes you wonder if maybe they're... Uh, you know, producing them in China for production cost and then importing them. What? Really? And they said a quick note. Uh, if you, we do not ship these to New Jersey or Rhode Island as air guns are regulated as firearms in those states. I don't think Rhode Island's allowed to do anything in Rhode Island. Isn't that one when they used to do the infomercials on TV? It was, you know, valid in all 50 states except Rhode Island. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't frequent states that let me do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, are they even big enough to be called a state? I mean, honestly, kind of. Uh, of course, we've alienated our two Rhode Island listeners right now. <laughs> so, well, cool. Well, that does it for Scuba the News. A nice short week for a change. We didn't, we didn't get into too many details. Or get on too many tangents. Too many tangents. Well, 
I, should should I do a travel report since I was uh, traveling? Why not? Where'd you go? I went to Ripon, Wisconsin, which is near Madison, a little uh, northwest of uh, Milwaukee. Uh, we have a uh, the company I work for has a production plant over there, and it was my first chance to get there since we acquired them the end of last year. Uh, I was supposed to be going in probably March time frame, but uh, COVID got in the way. So, but this is the first time I had been, I think maybe I'd gone to South. Yeah, I've been in Indiana a couple times, but uh, it's the first time I've been more than 30 miles from home since the beginning of this COVID mess. So I was kind of, you know, I, I, I rented a car. So that was my first experience was doing the rental car there in Stevensville. And that has changed a hundred percent. You mean the one there by uh, Lee Hunan's restaurant? Yep, that one there. Yeah, yeah. Lee, Lee Hunan. I noticed he's putting his cement blocks and tires farther <laughs> over. It's like that seems to be a little bit of a engineering problem with whoever set up that strip mall. Not didn't calculate correctly. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, but they they had moved over from their normal location to the one next door to it. Uh, and I want to know who has the concession who's selling all these plastic barriers. Somebody's got to be making a mint on Lex, Lexan and plexiglass. So you, you had to go in there, the face mask on and this, and, and they were smart. I've seen a lot of them where they do just a little tiny barrier and everybody just kind of leans around the barrier and talks to the person anyway. So they, theirs was like full one wall to the other wall barrier, but, uh, you know, got the rental car, everything's contact free. Uh, but going up to Milwaukee, I, I sailed right on through Chicago and, uh, Milwaukee all the way up to, uh, my intended destination. And there was not as much traffic as I would normally see. Um, but I would say that when I got into Wisconsin, it's like a completely different world than uh, Michigan is right now where, you know, in Michigan, you can go into a business and everybody uh, who's working the business will be wearing a mask. And then at least before this week, it was probably about 50, 50 of the patrons wearing masks in Milwaukee, not Milwaukee, but in, um, you know, rural Wisconsin. I didn't see anybody anywhere wearing a mask and out any of the restaurants, not the wait staff, not, you know, nothing. It was like, it was normal times. So that was a little bit different. Yeah. I think that's what you're going to find if you're up in the U. Yeah. Just, uh, they haven't had quite as many cases and the density and. That's the big one there. They don't have the big parties. Don't have a lot of kids. They don't want to stay up there in the cold. They want to go down where it's warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so that, that was kind of a shock. Now, the plant, now, the plant I went into, they were even a little stricter than we are at our plant down here. They've, they've got their own uh, health professionals. They have, uh, yeah, it's physical therapists and everybody. So uh, I'm sure I'll get, a, at some point, I'll find out the reason behind all that. But they had, uh, you were allowed to not have a mask like in the conference rooms as long as we were social distancing. We could take the mask off. But I didn't get a tour of the plant like I would have liked. Uh, but I wasn't going to press it. Yeah. 
I'll be back up there and get a tour next time. But if, when you went to the bathroom, that was the spot that they were most concerned about was that you had to wear the mask in the bathroom. So I'd be more concerned with making sure I wash my freaking hands. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wash my hands and then I just, for good measure, will, uh, I've got some nice whiskey smelling, uh, hand sanitizer the way that all hand sanitizer should be scented on on the way back uh traffic was a little bit heavier around chicago and but that was peak rush hour so but i survived you know i don't think i have i've ha- i have covid that was uh I, I got back tuesday night so it's thursday so you know i, I think i dodged it i hope so so anybody get any diving in? That's one thing I certainly didn't get. A well, I know during the last couple of periods, Kevin spent about 20 days diving more up north than most of us will dive in three years. He did in 20 days. Yeah. But did he talk about that last week? He did a, a little bit, but probably not enough. I, sh- I We should have squeezed that out of him. Well, I mean, if you uh, followed his track, because he, he posted all of that which was really good, gave you a real good feel of what he did, where he went, all the museums. I mean, it's, it's right into his his, uh, his his desire and what he's being is a shipwreck historian. He, mm-hmm. he did a lot of research, a lot of reviews, a lot of travel, and uh, it, it's a kind of vacation most of us would have liked to have taken sometime yeah. in life. So he what did would be, that. What would be interesting is... Uh... And I don't know. I, I I'd say it, but maybe I wouldn't. But would it'd be nice to do that, like a guide, like a light guided tour, you know, where you had a group of people all going up. Uh, but I I say the reason is it, it's hard when you're looking at history. It's the dwell time on an item, like in a museum. There's certain items I go, eh, but then I might get interested in something and you know really want to know more about that particular item. But yeah. Yeah, he he. he he got to a, uh, quite a few spots up there. He, he, I think he got more diving in than he was really planning. Uh, he said that there was going to be some more bad weather days, and they just didn't happen as, as often as he thought they would have. He, he definitely had a, a good good travel venture. I think down here uh, we had people hit the river. on. They were going to go out up north. Not north, but... Um, out on the big lake, but it was a blow day, so they went and did the river again. That was Sunday, and then again, uh, we went on the tankful Tuesday. Uh, the dive was back to the river again. I mean, it's nice right now, the level is down, current manageable, it's warm, you don't need a hood, you just need regular gloves so you don't get cut. I mean, you can't ask for more visibility anywhere from five to ten feet, depending on where you're at who's upstream of you. And uh, Karen and them were out last week also. And if you haven't seen that bottle she's got, oh, that's that was not a bottle. gorgeous bottle. Looks like yeah. it's embossed on all sides. I didn't check the foot of it, but it wouldn't surprise me if you had something there. Yeah, if, if you're missing the, if you're not in the chat room, you're missing a lot. You get to see those photos, people seeing seahorses, all sorts of stuff. So instead of a safety item this week, I do have questions. Sure. And these are questions for those in the audience. 
And what I'd really like is some feedback, people. How about <laughs> giving us some information? Like, one, did you hear it? And if you did, what did you think? So I just want to, and again, if you're diving for a lot or, you know, you're a diver for many years, everything I'm going to talk about here, you already know. That's called diver hacks. All right? Until mm-hmm. I go to a couple of them. You may know it, but you may not. Number one, use baby or gel baby oil or baby shampoo to make it easy to wiggle it to your wetsuit, especially if it's been a while since you put it on. And even if you cut baby shampoo by, you know, 50% water, it works great. And it's not going to contaminate anything in a bad way. And generally, whenever we're having our pool party, how many times have people got into it you know, in February? God, it shrank again in my closet over the winter. You know, yeah. the, the shampoo here is going to help you get in there. Now, if you don't want to contaminate the pool water, the next logical item is all those plastic bags you get from the food store that you can't use, or bring a couple of those thin plastic ones, put them over your foot and or your hand. You can slip right on through your sleeves and your leggings. So it makes a difference and it helps out. Not to mention, if you got holes in your suit, when you get it all the way out with your foot, rip the foot, leave your foot out, leave the bag on the inside. Gives you a little more protection. Another little item is, if you're diving a lot and you haven't done it, buy a regulator mouthpiece that has a comfortable bite for your mouth. And many of them, and some of them do cost a little bit. I've got one that cost me 30 bucks. It's from my Cyclone. It's on my, my, my emergency backup rig. And you put that in your mouth, and it is made for you. You won't get jaw fatigue at all. And if you're diving a lot, Having a good, comfortable bite makes a difference. Next item is, they say, stretch fins on your, you know, your straps for your fins. A lot of people, and most people I know, are changing out the spring straps. And if it's been a while, you might want to check your fin straps to see how they are deteriorating, because they do. And they really look good up until a point. And that point is when you really want to use your fin, it comes apart. So, Spring straps are what most people seem to be using that. And if again, if you're looking at your straps for your fins, you might want to take a look at your mast strap. I was reading some of this over, so I went back and looked at my five masts downstairs, and three out of the five need to have those changed because they deteriorate just sitting there. Next item I did, and I did this on my own, is if it's been a while since you've had your scissors or your dive knife, dive knife out, Take it out, clean it out, and coat it with car wax, the blade especially, or silicon lubricant. That'll help it. And if you do the, the casing, it'll slip in and slip out a lot easier. And your locking mechanism, lubricate that. Makes it easier to get in and, you know, get on and out with your gloves on. Uh, if you've been on any kind of dive trips, especially on boats, black hoods, black gloves all look the same. If you haven't put your name on your gear, you should. Another little item they talked about is, um, you know, everybody's looking for zipper lube, wax. Don't forget a candle, you know, a candle stub makes a good emergency zipper lube. Yeah. And your BC straps, you know, make sure they're wet before you set them on your tank. You'll get a much more secure attachment point. And everybody knows, but how many people really carry a tank valve over it? Just in case. I mean, and you carry one, and you know where it's at, and it's not 10 years old. So when you put it in, it's going to fall apart in your face. I went back to my case, looked at mine. 
mine is still pliable. Now, from that, I'm curious about diver dues. That's what I'm calling this. And my questions are the following. How often do you check out and service your dive gear before you go to a dive location, especially if it's far from home? I'm curious because it's one of those, uh, what is it, uh, the laws that the further you go, the more chances or something's going to happen yes. that you don't have a spare. Yeah. So if you're going next door, you're using the pool next door, something happens, you got one next door. I mean, I go up north, I take extra regulators, I take whatever I could drop, mask, I always have two or three masks, take your spares. So how often do you check your gear out? Next item is, have you made and do you use a diver checklist, equipment checklist, when gathering gear for a dive? It is different from summer diving, winter diving, wreck diving, the type of diving you do. And I do that. I have equipment list. I have equipment list for warm water dives, cold water dives. Because don't forget, cold water can be a killer on the hands. And that brings up the point that if you're out there and you've got mitts on or three fingers rather than five finger easies, can you disconnect or connect cold hands or bulky gloves in the dark, especially when you need to do it? Your inflator hose to your BC or your wet or your dry suit. I cannot, especially if they got a little ice on them. So you need to start thinking about what am I going to do if I have a problem like that? Uh, I have a list for my river dives, especially in fast water. What do you use there that I don't use someplace else? I use river sticks. What are some of the hazards? Strainers, entanglements, even though you can have them, you know, in the embankments. Do you have a list for your wreck or penetration dives? Now, obviously, you should have training for that, but what else are you going to have? Reels, lights, definitely extra air. How about deep dives? Well, do you have the training? Do you have the experience? Do you have a sufficient emergency air source based on your depth and your time? Do you have a timer? Do you have a deco meter? And do you know how to use the darn thing? I have heard many people who have families, they'll have three different types of meters, they'll go do a dive, and they have three different results. One has no deco, one has three-minute deco, one has five-minute deco. Which one is correct? And if you look that up, you'll find out part of the issue is algorithms have changed. So depending on the year those decometers were, and if you didn't get them all at the same time, they can be latent, meaning different for each person because they used a different algorithm. So you might want to check that out. And again, do you have, what do you do if you do a low visibility dive? What's the different or what item might you have? Well, how comfortable are you with tethers? And do, are you like a line tether, or do you do the stick method? Do you know what I mean by the stick method, Darren? No, I don't. A stick method is where you can you depend on the conditions you drive or you're in. If you're in weeds, a three foot stick with a hand loops on both sides aren't going to be good because you're going to get them tangled. But a one foot with a, a loop that you can put your hand through is very good because you got a positive feel. You know exactly person is, and you can coordinate your activities a lot better with that. What's your comfort in zero vis? You know, equipment list will give you the items that you are unique. Like for us, ice dives, didn't even talk about that. We talk cold water, but ice dives, we mm-hmm. talk about pallets for the feet. 
We talk about ice shanties, heaters. We talk about the procedure for staying warm before you get the suit on, getting warm after you take the suit off. So equipment lists, different for each of those scenarios. Do you have them? I do. I have easy dozen different lists. Now, the other item. So we got your equipment. Now, let's, let's talk about dives. Dive plan. Make sure you and your buddies are on the same page of the dive plan. So my question is, how many times have you actually gotten with your buddy or buddies and talked about your dive? Do you agree that anyone can abort the dive for a reason? Does your plan have contingencies? What ifs? And I, I look at the contingencies. It scares the heck out of me when I'm diving with some people. And I got rebreather guy, and I got not a rebreather. So when we go up, rebreather guy is still down there. What's your contingency for finding him, or how do you know where he's at? It scares the heck out of me when we do that. Yeah. Well, how, how long is he going to be down? I mean, he should. Dive plan. We should know. Yeah. You should know, especially if you're in charge of the boat. So does everybody know the contingencies for your dive? Okay. And I, this is the other item. Do you agree that the following is important? Number one, before entering the water from a boat or in water that's over your head, number one, know the dive plan. Where are you and your buddy going? What are you going to be doing? How deep? How long? Do you have any safety stops? Do you both have sufficient backup air if one has a total mouth? Number two, did you practice equalizing your ears before entering the water? And did you do it immediately after? The key item there, and I've always been taught, when I'm getting ready to go up north to go on a trip, I start practicing my equalization early and often. I mean, I'm thinking about it, pinch the nose, and blow. That's the common one. But how many other different ways do you know to equalize your ears? Do you know swallowing engages the muscles at the back of the throat, opens the station tubes, and can often work to equalize the ear pressure all on its own? For an added boost, pinch your nose, swallow at the same time. Working your jaw engages the muscles in the back of the throat to aid in equalizing. And one of the most effective methods is to tense the muscles in the back of your throat while at the same time pushing your jaw forward. And the reason I mention these, what causes your ears not to equalize? Did you realize that, obviously, the number one is, what if you got a cold, sinus blockage? Other items are stress, cold water, anxiety. All of those can work towards psychologically making it hard for you to equalize your ears. So think about that a bit. All right, so now before you still get off that boat, is is your mask rinsed and on secure? Did you physically verify your tank valve is open? Did you do it like we do? Did you verify you have air by taking three deep breaths, watching your pressure gauge? Did you add a little air to your BC? Why is that important? I want to go straight down. Well, if you add a little air to your BC, you know automatically your inflator hose is connected and it's working. And we've read some cases here, you know, we're talking about safety. Well, he didn't have it hooked up to his BC or he had it hooked up, but it didn't work. Well, add a little air to your BC just before you go down and you know it's working and you know it's connected. Do you keep the regulator in your mouth before you enter the water that could be over your head? And by that, if you dropped off a a dock or a pier, seven feet of water is seven feet of water. Most of us are not that tall. 
Another little item they were talking about is breath. How do you breathe? Have you thought about it? They say, focus on your inhaling very slowly while staying calm, and it helps not elevate your heart rate. When it's time to exhale, don't suddenly breathe out at once and get all that bubbles. Focus on slowly exhaling at a little at a time. And if you do both, it's going to help your heart rate go down, and it's going to increase your bottom time with your air. You're going to do a better job of breathing and having more air. The other question came about is, have you ever held your breath when you're diving? Or do you skip? And the question is, why? Is it to save air? Then why don't you have a bigger tank or take a backup? When you're underwater, do you have loose gear? What you do there is like your pressure gauge or your console. What you want to do is keep it between your arms. You don't want to have loose equipment floating in the current. Or I should say flapping in the current. Because it's a snag hazard for one. It's also a drag. Other item, and I, I do this uh, with my, well, like Larry. So Larry, I dive with him forever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's called debrief. After a dive, have you and your buddy been debriefing? What we used to do is we'd go dive the river during the winter. And we'd go to a Burger King or wherever else and have some food afterwards. And the items that we did before we started BSing about anything else, we would, both of us were required to do three things. You would both have to think about and identify what you think went really well and as planned in your dive individually. Then you go ahead and say, did either of you identify something that did not go as planned? And then why didn't it? And then can you and your buddy identify any actions learned or reinforced about that dive? And we used to do that every time we dove. It was amazing to me the little nuance items that you would identify that went well or didn't go well and then why. And when you talked about it, you didn't do it again because you had talked about it, discussed about it, and it helped you make a better dive partner. And one of the other items they talked about was um, how many people really do know hand signals? And hand signals for boat, or I should say cattle boat divers, I don't mean that derogatorily, they have hand signals that I've never used. So the common hand signals, they said, does everybody on your group know the standards, which they consider to be come here, which I've never really thought about how do you tell a diver you're looking at to come here other than you point to him and you make the hand motion coming at me yeah you know? or look there that's pretty easy because you point to the eyes and you point to the item come here now the watch me i'm not sure about that one i don't think i've ever used that one holding no, that's hands more of an instructor one. yes yes uh now the little item you lead and i will follow if you haven't that's a good one because some days I like to lead. Some days I like to follow. Yeah, and yeah. if you're doing a dive and you don't want to be piggy, one will dive going on your thousand pounds out. The other one comes back on the thousand pounds. That's where yeah. this one that's your turn to lead. I'll follow. Yeah. The let's go down. Let's descend. That's pretty easy. The thumb down or the thumb up. You know, I'm going down. I'm going up. Everybody knows the one I'm out of air. What's the one I'm low on air other than showing you my gauge? Right? Yeah. Other item they talk about is slow down. And I'd have to remember what slow down is because I've not ran into that one. 
The I same as really calm down. How much air do you have? That's an easy one because you pick up your and your pointer. Is how much have you got, buddy? But how again often do we practice our hand signals, especially with the guy or guys, people you're diving? Yeah, the hand signals is one that probably is worth doing again because I that was my major focus when I first learned to dive was I was all concerned, you know, knowing all the hand signals. You know, it was kind of like in a pilot's class knowing all the the alphabet so you could talk to somebody but uh other than the basics i don't we don't use it all that often well i was just looking at all the the scenarios of people have gotten hurt and why and uh it's like doing a lot of these items we're talking about you will minimize that probability of happening and again if you've got air you got time now, the other item I was looking at, which is sort of scary, it's one of those items, has it ever happened? I've seen it happen before to people, is exactly do you know what to do if you're at 35 feet, and I'm not even saying deep, 35 feet, you burp your, you know how you burp your BC to give just a little bit of air? You know what I'm talking about? Yep. You ever do that? All right. Because mm-hmm. you're floating there, you're getting out, you're going to go just a little bit. All right. So you do that. And that son of a gun does not stop. And your BC is going, woohoo, what are you going to do? Have you thought about what you're going to do? Yeah. You realize I, I ha- that most you have, what are you going to do? Well, there's a few options. One is to disconnect the air. I okay. mean, that would be the, the. That is absolutely correct. But you know what's going to happen while you're doing that? You're at 35 feet. You're going up. You're going up. Yep. You're, you're, wow. You are basically screwed. Yeah, I mean, you're going to go up one way or the other. Uh, the quickest way to dump air is probably going to be the butt dump, but you've already built up a ton of air in your your BC, so that's not going to and unless you could get horizontal. It's you're not you're you're going to be limited as to how much air you can get out, and you know your normal inflator deflator buttons okay. aren't going to be able to the do. The key that. item to do on that is that that ever happens to you is you grab your inflator hose. You yank that sucker straight up as high as you can. That activates the relief valve in the back. And the newer BCs, that will dump air faster than your inflator will put it in. I did not know that. So, yeah, that, if you're on a. I haven't tried that yet, but I got to try yeah. it. If you're on a newer one where pulling on it will dump that. Right. And mine dumps, and mine's not a new one. Yeah. I don't mine think. Does. I have to try that. I don't think mine will dump that way. Well, mine does. The second item is, as you're doing that, I have the one on the butt. I have one on my side. He says, pull the other one at the same time. And if you caught it, if it starts, not not a full-blown, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you got a chance of stopping. Yeah. The second item is, let's say you couldn't do that, and you're coming up like a rocket. The next item to do, it will decrease your ascension rate by half, which is still a hell of a lot better than not is try to go horizontal, like a skydiver. Mm-hmm. They say by doing that, that so much resistance, it'll help minimize, they say, 50% of your speed coming up. Yeah, and, and that makes sense It's because you're creating resistance. Just like if you're a skydiver going down, you're doing the same going up. Absolutely. So when we start doing our pool work next year, next whenever we have an opportunity like we do in February, these are exercises we can think about 
that, you know, we practiced a lot last time. I mean, Dauphin Dawn, you know, everybody does the mask one. Everybody does trim and buoyancy. This is a good one to practice here in shallow water. How quick can you and can you do it? Now, let's talk about dry suit. You got a dry suit on and you burp that little sucker and you're at 90 feet. And it goes, what do you do now, buddy? Any idea? What are you going to do? On on the dry suit and it just yep. keeps fl- inflating? Yeah. It just stuck open, son of a gun. What are you doing? On, on my dry suit, luckily, I've got a shoulder dump. And what I would do would be turn that all the way to the left. Absolutely. So that, so Number that one would, is that. And keep your arm I, you up, can't, right? Right. And because uh, I'd have a shoulder Yeah, because I've got a shoulder dump and a wrist dump. Do I have a wrist dump? I don't think I have a wrist dump. But if you had a wrist dump, you, like you said, you'd put your arm up and between the shoulder dump, just my shoulder dump should be enough to, uh, if I pull it all the way to the left, it should, it, I shouldn't be able to inflate more than that. But uh, like my last dive, uh, I just felt like I was a little bit out of practice and my uh, my feet kept getting air into them. So I had to concentrate to work on that. Yeah, they said the, the key item for the dry suit is to open the dump valve on your arm. Don't put your hand up because then you're going to inflate your sleeve unless it'll blow your sleeve off mm-hmm. and then you can bend it out your arm. Yeah. yeah. You have to know where your where your dumps are in your dry suit. And yep. You, yep. You, you want to open those up and keep them at the highest point. Right. I thought that was quite interesting too. Now, the other aspects they talked about there is unless you've got an integrated hood with yours, you can always jam your finger down your neck and let it blow out of your neck. Yes. That, that's Until a good you too. can get that stopped. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to do that because have you tried to take off your fill line to your dry suit when you've got winter gloves on? My fill line, and I'm a bad example, I've got an old Viking. And it's got the world's worst connection mechanism on it. And that's one of my next replacements is to replace that with a much better connection. But it's hard to connect it up and it's hard to disconnect it. So either way is a chore. So I would have to instantly think I would go the other way, which would be to work through the inflators. I mean, the, the, only, uh, the only other thing is if you had shears, cut the damn line to your. To yes, your suit. true. Yeah. Now, let's say yeah. the other item here. Let's say your suit floods. You got a dry suit, it's flooded. Mm -hmm. What do you do now? Well, the dry suit that's flooded is is the assumption that I don't have enough lift to get me up. I'm not assuming you depending on what you're driving, what you're you're wearing. Are you gonna have a BC on or are you using your dry suit as your BC? I don't use my dry suit as my BC. I I know that they they've started teaching that, but I use the BC as the BC. The dry suit's just enough to keep the squeeze off. Uh, it's much easier dry to dive that way. Yeah. 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 And it, it's much easier to dive. If you, if you use your dry suit as a BC, I find that is much harder to control. Uh, but well, one, if, if one, my, you if not, you should not be doing that. Yeah. If dry if suit my, is not a BC. <laughs> yeah. If my dry suit filled up with water, I would still use my BC to lift me out. But if I got in a situation where the, say I've got the BC so full that it's burping out uh, mm-hmm. I, and I can't get up, 
I would actually stop uh, me. Let me stop a second. Yep. Why couldn't you get up? Once your suit is full of water. Oh, that's true. That yeah. didn't weigh you down any more than you already had. Yeah, that's buoyant. Yeah, you're going right. to be the the same buoyancy as. Yeah. Yeah. So, when does your problem come up? That's the second part of it. I guarantee you that if you have your suit full of water, you can't get out. If you're boat diving, you can't get back on that boat. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, get out of the dry suit to get on the boat, or probably cut it, cut the. Uh, Cut a hole in the ankle <laughs> and let it start draining out. There you go. And you, what you do is make sure you have a good knife. They said you slit it at the ankles. So as you get up, the water will drain out. And if you slit it correctly, it's an easy fix on your dry suit. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got air, you've got time. So think this stuff through. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I is very few situations when you get up, you have to be in the boat instantly. So gather your thoughts, think, think it through, uh, you know, you, your life is more important than your equipment, but if you've got the time, then, you know, do the action. That's going to save you a little bit of gear. Yeah. And if, if you don't really understand how that's going to be in a shallow area of seven feet and a buddy right there by you, and let flood out your, your dry suit, flood your dry suit. And then try to get into a boat. Now, I know that's from experience because I backed off the boat one time with my zipper open. <laughs> no, and I immediately realized the error of my ways and got my ass up. No, never. That, that couldn't, that couldn't happen to you. It did happen to me. That's why I was like, if, if you do what I'm saying beforehand, don't do as I did. Do as I'm telling you to do. <laughs> if you check that BC, if you do the, the items I really try to do all the time, you won't have this problem. But let the let the got, record show that I wasn't the one who turned you in. <laughs> if you got water from your knees down, you can't raise your feet high enough to get on that ladder. <clears throat> Unless it's nine feet deep. Yeah, you, then you can do it, but that's gotta be a chore, buddy. Yeah, but they said if you're not carrying a knife, you really need to be doing something. And that's where one of those uh uh cart, you know, carton cutters. You oh, just yeah. need to slash that both around both your ankles easy to fix yeah it'll drain the water you can get out in a hurry yep but those are the items that you haven't thought about you really need to and the last one is whether diving wet or dry and your gloves always try to have a thin layer of wool woolen sleeve or something gloves because mm -hmm. even if your dry gloves leak that wool will make a hell of a difference, especially when you get out and you take the glove off. Having that woolen sleeve, even though it may be a thin one, is a lot better than having air on the naked hand because you're already frozen. Yeah. That will give you a little bit. And again, wet, that will hold the, the heat in. That's one thing. The cotton ain't going to happen. So make you, you know, get them skinny wool gloves. Yeah. So... Keep in mind the diver dues I'm talking about. And just for the hell of it, try that debrief with your buddy. I mean, you go there, going to have wings and a beer. Ask, you know, what went well in the dive? What yeah. didn't go well? What happened? And what did we learn? Yep. And you're going to really be surprised at some of the responses you get back. And what, since you're thinking about it, uh, you're going to come up 
you're going to come up with stuff. Yeah. Do, do you mind if I add a, add a few on the boat sure. dive? No, go. Yeah. Because the, the thing is, you know, a, a lot of you, if you're diving on a cattle boat or some sort of charter operation, this doesn't apply. But if you're diving with a buddy who's got a boat, there's a little bit of extra responsibility and you can help them out. For one thing is uh, have a plan because a lot of times when we dive on a friend's boat, they're going to dive as well. So you need to have a plan for who's going in the water. You know, is that boat diver going, is that boat driver going to be diving? And when he's underwater, he's not captaining the boat. It's somebody else. So are you the first mate? Are you taking on that role? And if you are, you should know how to operate that boat and have a plan. If he comes up and he's downwind, you know, 50 meters or so, what are you going to do? You know, are all the other divers coming up? Are You know, you're, you're taking on, you know, who's going to take on that role? Is that you or is that somebody else? Do you know how to use the radio? Do you know, are you on the right channel? And do you know how to start the boat? I mean, if the boat diver, the boat driver's down there and he's down current and he's going to drift, you know, 20 miles away if you don't get to him, do you know how to start the boat and all the operations of the boat? So that's something that would be considered when you're doing a dive is to have these uh, backup plans for the boat operation because there's a little bit extra things that need to be considered. Uh, and, you know, even though we break the rule occasionally, there there should always be somebody up on the boat to be able to take command because uh, in in conditions that can be bad. If everybody's down below and the lake churns up and it gets real rough, uh, it's a, it could be a long swim to shore or a swim that never gets completed. Well, it's like that debrief I was talking about. Larry and I, years ago, in our younger days, where we were really, really young. An immortal. Um, yeah, yeah, an immortal. We were diving up in the straits on the uh, Michigan side. And, you know, last dive of the day, we want to get it done. Weather's roughening. We anchored, secured the boat, did a dive, come back up, and the sea state had changed tremendously. The boat was half full of water when we got on. Oh. Oh, yeah. And then it was hard to start the engine. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously, we made it through it, but it's like, that was really not very smart. Yeah. And and kind of on that note, uh, it's not an insult to the boat captain. I mean, they may take it as an insult, but fine. Know where all the safety gear on the boat is. I mean, oh, there should be There should be a life preserver for everybody who's on the boat. Again, there should be the radio. It should be tuned to the right channel. Um, you know, there, there should be a flare, uh, a signal flare. And you should know gun. where it's at. You should know where it's at. So a lot of this is good to think about where am I going, what am I doing, and what if. Always ask yeah. yourself a what if. And if you can't answer a what if, you need to be finding out the answer. Yeah. And I still and- don't know. What is it? How are, how are we going to fix that, though, when you're on a dive, 73 feet of water, and you've got staggered, open circuit, and you got a couple of rebreathers? you got to talk to them before, the, before they get in the water. That's right. what it, it comes down we, to. We, we need to do a better job of 
telling us what is your dive plan, what is your time. But uh, on some of those wrecks in 70 feet on a wreck, I have actually taken a flag wreck. Yes. Yeah. And for that same reason, because if I have a problem, I want you to at least be able to recover. There's no shame in a flag. Oh, and I have not that. There's and and make sure you've got enough. Uh, now I've I I've done it the other way where we've uh, wanted to throw out a, another line in a boat and wanted to throw out a mushroom anchor just to uh, have a way of uh, of kind of directing the stern. And then realize we're in 120 foot of water and I've only got a hundred foot of line on the mushroom maker. Uh, the same works the, the other way. If you are down below and you want to put up a uh, surface marker buoy or, or something else, make sure you got enough line that you're able to hit the surface with that marker or right, that flag. A lot of the, a lot of the buoys like that, believe it or not, a lot of people used to use 15 feet because that's normally where their first eco stop was going to be. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have a hundred foot, but if you look at the spools when you buy some of these kits, they average seventy-five to hundred feet. The surface marker buoy reels. Yep. Uh, yeah. Again, telling stories. It's like when I used to dive back in the younger days. <laughs> my biggest fear was getting away from the wreck or somewhere where I didn't know where the anchor line was. And in low vis, I really did not like the idea of having to make a free ascent. I was always afraid I was going to go too fast or something. So I used to carry a minimum of a hundred foot roll of, of rope with me, you know, clothesline rope, hundred feet's not that much. So if I had to, I could tie it on the freaking wreck and let myself up. That was my, what am I going to do to keep me from freaking out? That was my way of contingency plan. And it worked. Obviously I got more experience have a lot better ways to do it, but you gotta, you gotta make sure you know what to do if you have a problem and everybody has a different threshold for problems. You know, some people wouldn't care to make a free ascent from a hundred feet. I would rather have something to hold on to as I did that. I tied on a wreck and let myself up a little bit at the time, but somebody's, you know, everybody's got a little bugaboo. I like having extra air. That's my next. Yep. That, so, uh, you know, that uh, stage bottle or bailout bottle is great. Well, it's like when we uh, go in Max Rec, when we're going to have a lot of time there, we put a bottle at the anchor. Bob has been putting a strobe light at 10 feet above the water or uh, mm-hmm. above the anchor. So you got, you got a secondary, you can eyeball something. Mm-hmm. I always take a reel with me. And I tie it off on the anchor. <laughs> yeah. If if, well, if, the, if it's not in the wreck or to the wreck, I take a tagline from that to the wreck. Yeah. So the, I come back. She ain't gonna drag. Yeah. The only time I had to do a free ascent on a wreck was actually on Max wreck. Uh, I was diving with a. He was a. He was probably maybe a little bit more seasoned than I was. But I was the one who had dove in the wreck, so I was leading. So we went down, and when we got to the bottom, the current had to been at least 15, if not 20. I mean, we had sand drifts around all the objects that were above the bottom on the wreck. We got about, I would say, 10, 15 yards off the anchor, and we were completely disoriented and couldn't find our way back. 
visibility was six inches. So we each grabbed onto each other's BC, signaled, and we did a free ascent. And, uh, you know, did the as slow as possible, but still make it up to the surface. And, and we did fine. But, uh, yeah, you, if know, you've got, you know a trick I read about I've never tried? What mm-hmm. if you lose your mask and you're trying to read your gauges? Can you read your gauges with your mask off? Uh, yeah, I can because I had, as a very young swimmer, we were expected to be able to open our eyes underwater and be able to swim. We We actually did tests in our... Uh, I think it was advanced swimmers class, first aid, uh, uh, not first aid. What was that organization? Uh, Red Cross. Uh, Red Cross, that was a requirement for, I think, the advanced swimmer class was to be able to open your eyes underwater and be able to see. So uh, I think I could, other than being naturally almost blind now as an adult. (laughs) Well, that's my point is with your mask off, not freaking out. And you read your gauges. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I uh, read today of a technique, and I'm going to have to try that next time I'm in a pool. They said, uh-huh. hold them at the, the gauge up against your forehead that you can still see the numbers or you should be able. Exhale, capture the air in that. You'll make a bubble. Oh. That's a, amazing. More people can, you can actually, it actually works for a lot of people. You can actually see the gauges in. So I'm going to have to try that in the pool next time. I'll have to try. Remind me next time we're in the pool to do that, take my mask off, and see if I can can see. Yeah. Because last time I tried it, I could. But I don't know what the difference is underwater. Excuse me, if I can see that. You know, my... Because if you couldn't see the gauge, can you see the depth gauge? So, yeah, you know, your well, ascent rate. I can see better... Uh, anything above in the air, three feet or less, I can see better without my glasses. Uh, I'm, I'm at that point where my, my stigmatism and vision is, uh, I've got a pretty good range from like one foot to three foot, but anything outside beyond that, I'm nearsighted. My close up vision is slowly moving farther out. So my arms will eventually not be long enough. (laughs) The, well, I wear trifocals, so you can tell me. Yeah, yeah, no trifocals. I, 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 I think when I get to that point, I'm, I, I may have to try your technique. Well, anyway, I wanted to bring those items up because I, I've been thinking about that, and to me, that's what the diving is about: is what can I do? How can I learn? And I'd rather learn from somebody else's experiences. Yeah. So the diver hacks. Then, you know, the baby shampoo in the plastic bag ain't a bad thing, people. Yeah. And, and the diver dues, you got to think about this. What about that yeah. dive plan? Or, you know, like you're doing a, a boat plan. Mm-hmm. You're going out on a boat or a kayak. You'll leave a note. Where are you going? What time are you going? Who's with you? When are you going to be back? When should I get excited? Yeah. Yeah. Put put that on your dash. You know, I'm I'm diving. I will be back by this time you know, visible that anybody who walks by the car can go and see it. Yeah. And I, and when I dive by myself at places, which I do occasionally, I do exactly that anymore. I put my name, address, phone number, say I intend to be back by this time. If I'm not, 
please call this number. Yeah. Nine law, one. <laughs> law enforcement or safety people, they, they want to help you out, but they, they need a little bit of information. Should they be concerned? Is that person who just called them overreacting or is that something that you should have been back? So that just gives them a little bit of information to be able to respond appropriately. Well, I, I mentioned that because have you ever had a buddy that you suck air really slow? So you get up and it's like, where the hell's my buddy at? Because he sucks about the same as I do. And you're on the surface for another half hour and mm-hmm. your buddy's not there and he doesn't have a flag. At what point do you realize that you got an issue? Yeah. I mean, that, that can happen in a river where. I, I'm, you know, I'm you, talking, this is an experience I had that scared the piss out of me because I'm in there thinking, how am I going to tell his wife? Yeah. And I, and I had another dive buddy come up saying, hey, how are you guys doing? I said, uh, I haven't seen him for a half hour. Uh, you yeah. want to watch? I'm going to go. And I'm getting ready to go call the the, the police. And then we look way out there, and I see somebody popped up, looked around, went back down. It's like, son of a bitch. Yeah, there he is. And Yeah, and from then on, I never let him go without a freaking flag. Yeah, yeah, because that, that can happen. Uh, well, scared uh, the I piss mean, out of me. How are you yeah. going to tell his wife? Yeah, you, you have to have the plan. And and unfortunately, plans sometimes change, and uh, they shouldn't, but they can. Uh, in the river, you know, if if you were expecting him to, you know, you're heading downstream or you're heading upstream, or maybe he was starting upstream and he decided the current was too strong, so he went downstream, but you kept going upstream. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe he went down around the bend. He didn't realize how far away he was. So when you pop up, you don't see his bubbles anymore. And this uh, is really good. Uh, I was out there. Jim was diving this couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He's diving in his spot, and everybody's out, and he he just has lots of air. Yeah. So I sat on the, the, the bench up there, the swing, and I'm watching it until the cop came up and touched me on the shoulder. And I'm looking, he says, uh, are you diving? Is that a lost flag over there? He says, no, there's a diver there. He says, when's the last time he came up? Somebody <laughs> reported that the guy had drowned because the flag hadn't moved, and you can't see the bubbles from across the river. Right. Now, that's when, you know, you believe you, I know it's Jim. I know he's whatever. Right. After that, I told him, hey, every 10 minutes, come up. Yeah. You know, wave or something. Or or, or tug on the buoy or something. That's yes. Some sort yep. of a signal. But yeah, because a lot of guys go, we tie the buoy off to keep the drag off of you. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is if you tie off the buoy and then you drift down, Yes. I mean, you, you, that, that buoy is not serving the purpose that your fellow divers are counting on. That's a, right. that's, I should be able to head down that buoy and you're within an arm's reach of the bottom. Yes. You but should. if, but if you tie that off to a log and then you go 20, 30 feet away in a, in a current, cause the current near shore is almost nothing. You get, you know, just five, 10 feet out there. That's a completely different yeah. experience and you can oh, drift yeah, down yeah. quite a bit. So yeah, those some yeah. So plan your dive, dive your plan. Don't deviate because you're creating a problem for him and yourself. Yeah. And, and in I the think, river, it's only 15 20 feet pop up and and let somebody know if the if the plan's going to change. True. And if you I mean you've got strainers out there, you've got 
all sorts of debris you can get tangled in. And that's, again, why I like that Dolphin Dawn experience in the pool. Mm -hmm. If you get caught, it's generally your equipment that's snagged. You can breathe and take that damn thing off, and you're normally in 10 feet of water. But make darn sure, you know, you have a a clear passage to the surface. It's easier than you fear it it would be to take your equipment off, but you don't know for sure if you don't practice. Yeah. So, So practice it so you know. And that was one of the great things about this last pool dive is I, is we got to try out all the things that we, we don't normally do in a dive. Normally in a dive, we're diving. So yeah. to be able to play around and try things, we did that buddy breathing. We did the getting equipment off and on and. Uh, Shooting the the bag. Using the bags the up. Yeah. yeah. And and I've got multiple bags. So I, I shot all the bags up just to see how they would react and. You know, yeah, my finger reel sucks. I, I'm getting real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, I, uh, t- it's a good chance to figure out what gear works and what you need to replace. I was reading on some of those items of how some of the guys deployed theirs with those finger reels that suck. They inflate it. They just let the reel go all the way down. They inflate and let it go, keeping a circle with their fingers. So the line is there. So when it hits the surface, they still got the line. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, duh, that's a, that makes sense. Yeah. Because they don't get it caught in their fingers. They don't get burned from the road, yeah. the reel. Uh, that's why it's good to talk. Yeah. So uh, now, and, I enjoyed tonight. I enjoyed doing some research on these items because as divers, that's what we ought to be thinking. We need to be thinking about the dive. Yeah. Have that planning have contingencies, and then talk about what you learned afterwards. Yeah. Don't, don't become complacent and keep improving. Excellent. And don't be embarrassed to say you screwed up as long as you learn oh, yeah. from the screw up. Exactly. So very good. And then also in the chat room, uh, let's see, what do we have down there that we may have missed? Uh, one one Karen pointed out is don't hold your breath. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, you, you don't want to hold your breath. Uh, okay. Um, do we have anything we want to plug before we get out of here? I think we, we, we kind of ran the course on this one. No, uh, 21st is our next uh, Tuesday dive, and it will be at the river. As long as that river is good, they're crazy not to use it. So we're, we're calling this. lines have been great. We calling this thank thankful Tuesdays, thankful Tuesdays, thankful Tuesdays. So, and uh, you know, if if you're diving, I mean, we're we're doing it here in Michigan, but if you're diving someplace else, send us a photo. Let us know that you're you're doing that, and let us know what you find. I mean, we like to see the bottles around here, but you know, Niles uh, is a fortunate place. Uh, four different countries have controlled Niles, so. We're always looking for those artifacts, not from the United States since 1900. So anything older than that would be amazing. Uh, but share with us what you're finding, and we'd love to uh, share in your experience. I want feedback on what we talked about tonight. Yes. What, what did we miss? Because I'm sure some. Oh, I'm, we probably missed quite a few. And, we need some uh, lessons learned here of things mm-hmm. you've done and survived of what can we do better. 
So tell yeah, us what, and we'll what, share that with everybody else. Yeah, what what type of dives? I mean, we're 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 diving in pretty much fresh water, cold water, low vis. But uh maybe there's things that we're not considering. Uh you know, I was watching a show on one of the Discovery channels and they're talking about uh the Red Sea where uh when we had uh Claire who was on the program for a while would, would talk about and just you know, we we make fun that warm water and clear visibility is dangerous. Uh, but there are some situations where it creates an illusion of false sense of security. So maybe there's some some tips you can share with us that we can share with others that uh, revolve around the, those type of aspects of different type of diving that we may not be doing on the program. Well, sounds like you, you got a good joke for tonight. I think I've got a good joke. Uh, I never even got a, you know, backup joke because you always got to have a backup plan but so let's uh, go ahead and get started a woman was walking through the park when she sees a very attractive man sitting on a bench he's reading a book and eating some fruit out of a tupperware container slowly the woman gathers courage to ask the man out so she walks over and takes a seat next to him on the bench and turns and says "Uh, you know i'm sorry to bother you i know this may be a little forward but i'd love to grab coffee with you sometime Flattered, the man responds, uh, sure. But w- what makes you so certain that you and I would get along so well? Well, the woman says a couple of things. I actually noticed you're wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. Iron Maiden is one of my favorite bands of all time. When they went to the reunion tour in 1999, my parents took me to see him in Cleveland. I was 12 years old. It was the first concert I ever went to. I absolutely love Iron Maiden. The man can't believe it. I saw them play in Cleveland in 99, first concert I ever went to on my own. My best friend Jimmy Spitz and I told our parents we were sleeping over at each other's house, snuck out, took a bus to the city, saw them play in the Plain Dealers Pavilion. Naturally, they're both shocked. Isn't it weird enough, says the woman, I noticed you're reading Mark Twain. I was a communication major in university, and I actually wrote my thesis on Mark Twain, how you use satire as a lens to comment on current events of the time comparing the satirical news sources of the day. Today's my favorite author. The man is really taking it back. Get out of here. I was an English major in university. I specialized in 19th century American literature. This is like my fourth or fifth time reading Tom Sawyer. I absolutely love Mark Twain. They both can't believe it. This has got to be a match made in heaven. Okay, the woman says, buckle up, because here's the icing on the cake. I noticed you're eating a prune. Prunes are... My absolute favorite fruit. When I was a kid, my grandfather lived on a farm in an orchard that mainly grew apples and some lemons, but he knew how much my sister and I loved prunes. He kept a couple of plum trees. Every year at the end of summer, we would go up and harvest the plums with him. He'd dry them, and by the time we get back to his place for Thanksgiving, he'd always have prunes saved for us. They're my favorite fruit. I love prunes. You're eating a prune. This has got to be fate. What do you say? The man puts down his fruit and responds, it's a date. I think that's called subtle. <laughs> was that good enough, or do we need another one? I think that was good. Enough. Okay, we'll save, the other one. we'll save the other one for next week. So, on that note, go out there and get wet, and stay safe.
And now it's the time for me to convince Craig to leave the room and start saving this so I can add. Say Craig is on board? Yeah. Yeah, there was one I was watching, and it was uh, a frozen lake, and a dog went in, and this guy, you know, took his clothes off and went in and pulled the dog out. They had it on video, and but he had some sort of experience. He had he was some sort of like he had done river rescue or something in the past, but mm-hmm. but but going in with with no wetsuit, no nothing, and getting in the water. So maybe he just yeah, knew. Gotta be, he's got to be a lot younger because you or I could not do that. He, he may have been before. younger than me, but I don't think he was a lot. I want. I want to say he was in his 40s, so yeah, yeah, that is. See, me, I've got I've got my own built-in wetsuit, so. Yeah, well, we both know that's, <laughs> that's limited. It sounds good, but. Yeah, that seal blubber only works so far. So we got Craig in here. I've got all my show notes loaded up. Kind of a yep. light, light week. Are you ready? Either one, yep, I'm ready. Okay.